Good morning. Everybody watching on Facebook. Glad to have everybody here. I know we've got some with family, some at home, some working. Thankfully, Tasha's able to come today. She didn't have to work today. You know, it's easy to forget. We got a lot of folks that still have to go to work on, on Sundays, right? And, and you can be made to feel sometimes uh, bad about that. But, but there is nothing wrong with doing the job that God has put you in. We'd much rather have you here. Uh, and and we're, we're, we're very glad when we get to see you. But, but remember that, we, like you said, you're essential. We've got a lot of folks that are essential. We've got folks working in hospitals and all over. And uh, again, his presence is there. Uh, during all this, you know, we've heard a lot that the church is not a building. And that's true. The church is, though, a gathering together. Uh, you are a part of the church even when you're not with the body. But how much better is it to be with the body? Amen. How much better is it when we gather together to come celebrate Jesus together, spend time in his presence together to fuel us up for, to go out into the world for the rest of the week. Let his light shine. Let his love uh, shine in our life so that we can go about doing good in his name. Amen. 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 We are on Facebook. Glad that uh, we're able to make that available to all our folks, again, who may be with family or at home or working uh, or out of town. Uh, Ashley had a death in the family. They've gone to um, be together around that. A lot of things going on, uh, but we're so thankful that, that we can gather together. I don't know if you saw this last week. The President of the, of the United States even said, we got to get the churches back open. We got to get people back in to church. Obviously, things need to be done the right way, and every situation is different. But it was just nice to hear him acknowledge the importance of the church in in America uh, and the support for the church in America. I saw his press secretary just getting bombarded with questions by the media after that. Well, how can he say that? How can he override governors? What, what constitutional power is he using to say that the churches can, can open up? And she said, I think you just need to refer back to what he said. He said that churches are essential and we need people to be able to gather together and pray to God in this country. And she said, I'm surprised that I'm, I seem to be in a room with a bunch of people who don't like that. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, here we go. It's, 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 you know, the church is going to persevere even if government doesn't support it, but it's nice to have the support of those in leadership. Amen. And we're blessed to have that in Arkansas and, of course, in Camden and in Washtenaw County as well. Um, it's M Memorial Day weekend, even it won't, won't be quite like uh, Memorial Day that, that we've, we're, we're always used to. Even looks like it's going to rain all week, which is strange for this time of year, but, but I would encourage you uh, this weekend, tomorrow, even though, you know, all the days kind of run together uh, right now, uh, to, to take some time and just reflect on what that day means, right? We don't want to lose the meaning uh, behind special days like that. Obviously, we want to always remember those who have served our country, ordinary people, men and women, and our armed forces that have served our country in extraordinary times and, and gave every 
everything, all the way up into their life for this country in service to it, in fighting for our freedoms and for our safety and for those around the world. This, this day, Memorial Day, is to memorialize those that have fallen in the line of duty. And I, I just want to take just a moment, a moment of silence here uh, to, to acknowledge that, to remember that. And, and again, it doesn't mean you have to sit at home and cry all day tomorrow. That's not what they were fighting for. Uh, but we, we never want to forget that uh, freedom comes because of great sacrifice. Amen. 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 So I, let, let's, let's take a moment before the Lord, moment of silence, and thanks uh, for all of those who have given their life in service uh, to this great country. Amen. Amen. I was listening to a, a book the other day and thinking on Memorial Day, and it was talking about a young man that had grown up, and he called it growing up a hillbilly, which we don't have a lot of hillbillies in this part of Arkansas, or at least they won't proclaim themselves hillbillies, but it's the same thing, you know, as what we've grown up around. And, and he said one of the, he ended up going into the Marines, and one of the things he was most proud of, his home county, and, and he's my age, so he was not alive at this time, but he said his home county in Kentucky had filled their World War II draft quota on volunteers alone. He was like, I forget what they called it. I mean, they may have called it Blood County or something like that. Or, uh, but, but just the fact that, uh, that they were, there was so much patriotism there that they didn't have to go and tell anybody, you have to go, you know, because they had enough people volunteering in that area to say, I'll go. I'll go, send me. And man, uh, it, does that mean a lot. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. If you do, let's go ahead and open those. We're uh, loving life in the book of Luke. Uh, this morning, Luke chapter 6, in verse... 27, we're going to read Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 through 36. There's, there's many blessings to preaching through Scripture this way, to going through Scripture this way, verse by verse. Uh, no, number one, it causes you to wrestle with texts that you would normally go, eh, that's kind of tough, I'm just going to go on to something that's a little bit easier. Right, I'm going to go on to something that's easier to understand, easier to articulate. And, and so it, it, it makes room there to go, no, we're, we're going through this. This is in here. It's in here for a reason and a purpose. God, give me uh, food from this and, and seeking the Lord and him leading in that. And then also it, it gives you a, a chance uh, to, to go through a passage and be above suspicion that maybe you're talking about somebody. You know, so when we hit this one today about loving your enemies, if I had just popped up out of nowhere and said, hey, today we're going to preach on loving your enemies. It's like, man, what's Stephen got going on in his life? Somebody's after him. You know, he's having trouble with somebody. He's thinking about how, how to love his enemies. And that's what he's. But so it, it can be a whole lot more. Here it is. And, and it's just so, 
so good and, and I enjoy it. So let's read that this morning and then I'll pray and we'll get into what I believe the Lord would encourage us. And so in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus is speaking. It's a continuation of where we were last week, and we'll talk about that in just a second. He says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, exclamation point. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And in my Bible right there, I wrote amen and oh me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Lord, we thank you for each and every one that you've called to be a part of this body. And Lord, we gather together today um, in person and virtually to worship over your word. God, teach us today. Teach us more about you. Teach us more about your love. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working on the inside of us, that as we hear the word, faith is built up and strengthened so that we're able to receive and put into practice what you would teach us today. We thank you for not hiding yourself from us, but revealing yourself to us, especially in, in, in Scripture. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this is a continuation of last week. Last week, Jesus was talking about blessed are the poor. Blessed uh, are those who are excluded and mocked and, and all these terrible things. Blessed are they in sorrow to the rich. Woe to those who are full and prosperous. Now, remember, we, we were talking about that. And so it's a continuation of that. And so it's almost like, and then he said, but to those who are willing to listen, love your enemy. So he had just told them there are going to be people. If you look at it in uh, verse 22, he said, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the son of man. So he's telling them they're following me is going to put you at enmity with many people. And they're going to do these things to you and to count that joy to be here in me when that happens. And then he tells us following that here in verse 27, but you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. So what is Jesus doing? He's continuing to do what he said he would do earlier in the book, which is go about it, preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God came with him from heaven he brought it, and it's different from what we know and experience in this life. It was different for them, and it, it is exactly what we need. If it wasn't different, then why would we need it, right? But it's so different sometimes that it can throw our head 
um, into kind of a tizzy because it seems upside down, but it's, it's different and different how. It, it's not our default to love our enemies, right? This is not what we do easily to love our enemies. It's upside down for us. Because is it our reflex to love someone who mocks us, excludes us, and does horrible things to us, especially on the basis of the fact that we're a Christian, that we follow Christ? Is that our reflex? Is there anybody that lays in bed at night imagining ways to love those who have done those terrible things to you? They were just so mean and ugly to me. How can I love them tomorrow? Hmm. No. What does your mind want to imagine? What could I have told them? What could I have said? How can I make them feel bad for what they have said or done to me? Right? That's where our mind goes. And that's what I mean when I say that to love our enemies is completely upside down of our normal reflex. We don't find ourselves daydreaming about how to better love our enemies. And so Jesus is coming and, and his message is different and it's powerful and it's transformative. It changes us. And as we learned last week, it is blessed because it blesses those who are, right? So it's different, it's powerful, it's transformative, and it's blessed. He says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. He's very general in the beginning. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you because this is going to be the kingdom at work in you and it's actually going to be reaching out to them. Then in verse 29, he gets into, he starts talking about some specific things, right? He, he takes it from general to, to more specific examples. He says there, if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer them the other one also. Now, this isn't about us making ourselves a revolving door for violence or for Abuse. Moreover, this is talking about when someone discounts you and shames you to the point of slapping you across the face. Right. When, some, when you slap somebody across the face or when somebody slaps you across the face, it's more of an insult than it is a harm. Right. It hurts. It stings your cheek, but it stings a whole lot more because that's their way of saying, I don't think anything of you. It's disrespect and it's shame. And one thing that I believe Jesus was pointing towards as, as I was reading this, um, I was pointed back to when he was speaking in John chapter 16 and he told the disciples, he said, you will be thrown out of the synagogues. You will be removed from the community. That, that's what it meant to be thrown out of the synagogue. Wasn't just, hey, you know, going out of here, you're causing trouble. It was literally to, to be excommunicated and apparently one of the final things they would do when you when this happened, when you were thrown out it, again, it wasn't like getting thrown out of a restaurant or, or a bar because you were raising a ruckus. It was a, a community act and it was official and it was formal. And one of the last things they would do would be slap that person across the face as a sign of disrespect and shame on them. And if you remember when Jesus was arrested, and he was called, he was called, he was taken to under arrest to the house of the high priest. And they started to make these accusations against him. You're a blasphemer, you're this, you're that. 
And, and they didn't even do that properly. They were supposed to call witnesses, right? The Bible says in the mouths of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And they were supposed to call witnesses, but they didn't do that. And the, Jesus didn't speak in defense of himself, but he did say, you know, hey, call some people. They'll tell you what I, what I said. And the servant of the high priest slapped him across the face as a sign of disrespect, shame on you. You need to get out. And that's what they, they took him out from there. So to, to, to them, this would have just been, this would have been even more than, hey, if somebody commits an act of violence against you. Because again, a slap in the face isn't about pain. It's about shame and disrespect. More than, again, does it hurt? I've been slapped in the face. It does hurt. But it hurts more on the inside, right? And so what he's doing is he, he knows this is going to happen to them and he's preparing them to respond in the right way from the kingdom of heaven and not from earthly motives, wisdom, carnal thinking, right? To not have, when, when you let somebody slap you across the face and then you turn your other one, when they slap you, they're saying, I don't think much of you. And when you turn your cheek, you're like, hey, I know, I know all about me. Take one more. And it's not a low view of yourself as much as it is a high view of God and his kingdom. To know that I'd rather get slapped twice than be the kind of person that slaps somebody back. Right? And so he's teaching them how to handle what's going to happen to them. Because again, remember, he already told them, look, because you follow me, people are going to hate you. They're going to exclude you. They're going to mock you and they're going to curse you. Because you follow me. It's coming for my sake. Here's how to handle it. Here's how you need to handle it. Not as the world would. Not to respond with a slap for a slap. But gently. And in humility. Even in the face of shame. Right? Because if my pride and my ego is all that I have and I get slapped across the face, we got to throw down. If that's all that I have and you slap me, it's going down. But if I have so much more than that on the inside of me to hang on to and to speak up in the midst of that, then I can take one and I could even take another one. And then again, it, it's not about the physical violence. You don't need to stay in a situation where you're being abused or where violence is being committed against you. It's more about when people despise you and try to shame you that you don't rise up and respond in the same way. Similarly, look at verse 29. And some of these don't make as much sense to us. So 29 was, if anyone slaps you, number 30. Oh, it's at the end of 29. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Now, this would have been a bigger deal for them than we think about. And number one, I don't know that I've had anybody ask for my coat, except for Kelly. Right? You know, somebody in your family, I'm cold. Can I have your jacket? You should have brought your own jacket, but Sure. Right. But, you know, you don't think give them my jacket, give them my shirt because we all have extra clothes. Right. Generally. I mean, you have more than one thing to put over your body to keep you warm. You may only have one big jacket. You may only have one hunting jacket. You may only have one. You know, what, but, but you've got multiple things. So if somebody said, hey, I need a jacket. You go, oh, yeah, yeah here. I got another one. But for them, your, your coat was what you wore during the day, and it was also your bed and blanket at night for the most part, right? Because if you look back, 
when it talked about lending money to people, they would actually put their coat up as collateral. They didn't have a lot of things of value, so they would put their coat up as collateral. And then the law taught them, if somebody gives you your coat for collateral, give it back to them each bedtime. Because that's not right for you to leave them without a blanket to sleep with and on. So to them, this is a lot bigger deal than just, you want a shirt? I mean, yeah. You know, we always hear that, we'll give you a shirt off your back. Maybe, but if, if it's your only shirt, you think about it even a little bit differently. I give you one, I don't have one less, I don't have one. So it said, if anybody asks you for your coat, give them your shirt <laughs> as well. And then the same principle in, in verse 30, give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. And, and again, we, we can get real caught up in the specifics to go, well, if anybody ever asked me for anything, I have to give it to them. But what Jesus was preparing them for was not just an everyday interaction with people. They were used to that. What they were going to experience was harassment from both their people and the Romans. If you remember reading on after the church has started there and they're throwing Christians in prison just for being Christians. If so, say they throw Andrew in prison. Hey, they threw Andrew in prison just for being a Christian and me and Kemper go visit him. They would then raid mine and Kemper's house and take our stuff. Not just to steal it like people would steal today, but for the purpose of humiliating us and bringing us to nothing because we followed Christ. And that's what he's saying. He's like, these bad things are going to happen. The, the kingdom rising up is going to create such a backlash from the kingdom of darkness that it's going to strike out at you. And here's how you need to respond. So we don't want to get, you could use it as here's what to do in this situation, but it's more of here's how your heart needs to react when things are committed against you that are wrong and demeaning and evil. Here's how you respond. And the answer is we don't respond in kind. And then he says in verse 31, the one we all know and the one we were taught as children, verse 31, do to others as you would like them to do to you. We call it the golden rule. I don't know why we call it the golden rule. They don't refer to it as the golden rule, but that's the, the, the rule, right? If everybody followed that rule, all would be well. The problem is with sinful hearts, we don't follow it very well, right? It turns into what other, what, what other people have done to me, I'm going to return to them. Or even what I think they want to do to me, I'm going to do to them first. Right? I'm going to strike first. That, that, that's the carnality and the evil that's at work on the inside of us because of sin. But he teaches, do unto others. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And he even puts them first in the phrase. Do unto others as you would have them to do to you. You, you hear it sometimes stated in the opposite. Whatever you would like people to do to you, you do to them. Even putting you first in the example. I just think that's funny. That we would put ourselves first, even in the example about doing better for others. Do unto others as you would like for them or have for them to do unto you. Because we're always quick to want mercy for ourselves, right? Grace for ourselves. Well, I can understand why I did that. I can excuse why I did that, but not them. Right. We want justice for them. They perpetrated something against me. Justice for you. But if you know, every once in a while I slip up and I make a mistake and I need grace. And what he's saying is do unto others 
as you would have them do unto you. And again, he's given these examples, but not as a step-by-step or a case-by-case of what to do when, because he doesn't go into any further detail. And these aren't just the only three things that you're going to, you know, have go on in your life that you need to operate under these principles. So it's obviously, it's as examples, but not the totality of the situation. Instead, it's what kingdom do you live in? What kingdom do you live from? Are you of the kingdom of the world? Do you live like they do? Do you respond like they do? Or are you from the kingdom of heaven? And do you live in it? Do you live from it? Because it will empower you to endure attempts to shame you by enemies. And not just endure them, but endure them gently and graciously. It'll allow you and and empower you to give and be generous, even to the point where it's sacrificial, where it hurts to give, where you have much less because you gave, even when no good is returned. Right. Again, he said it's easy to do good for people that are doing good to you. It's easy to give to people who are going to give it right back. But he says, love those who won't. And then why? Why is this important? In verse 34. At the end of verse 34, even sinners will lend to others for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward will be great. You will be acting as children of the most high. He's saying if all you do is this, you're no different from a sinner. If you're following me, there should be a difference in your life. What is the difference? The difference is how you handle things compared to how they handle things, how you live compared to how they live. If you aren't any different from the world, what are you? And are you part of the kingdom of heaven? And obviously we all come in completely saturated with the world. And there's a growth and sanctification process there. But he's saying, if if you're still no different from them, why are you no different from them? There should be a difference about you. The kingdom is not just observance of rules and commands, which is what they had gotten really good at. Many of them had taken the rules and the commands and they said, we can follow these. But it goes so much more to the heart and the attitude. Remember what attitude is, is how I think and how I feel about everything. What guides my thoughts and my feelings in every area of life. And he's saying the kingdom should be the source of all that you are and all that you do, because that will stand out in stark contrast to the world and to their expectation. It'll stand out and it may make them hate you more but it may cause something in them to break, right? I was reading a book. I was listening to one. This has been a season of audio books for me. It's been fun. Uh, And one of the lines in this novel, I was like, I'm going to have to write that down because that's really good. It said, love is the miracle because hate is so easy. Love really is the miracle because it's so easy to hate and to be selfish, It's so easy to fall into that. And that's why love stands out in stark contrast. It's like a spring of cool water in a desert of selfishness and hate. 
It really is a light in the darkness. And that's why Jesus is teaching this. He's teaching them the difference in the kingdom of God from the kingdoms of this world. And he taught them this because they soon would be stripped and disrespected and harassed and imprisoned. And many of them, almost all but one, martyred for following the Son of Man, right? Now, what if they hadn't heard this? If they hadn't learned this, their response would have been in kind, right? To fight fire with fire, answer evil for evil and hate for hate. And if that had happened, how different would it have looked? How different would it have looked if nobody changed because the kingdom had come? And to contrast that, look how much they did change spending that time with Jesus. The kingdom coming into their life, look how much it changed. That when they came and all these terrible things happened to them, they didn't throw up their hands and go, okay, that's it, I'm done. Right? Because they gave them all an out, didn't they? Just, just renounce him. Just stop preaching him. Stop talking about Jesus. Just say it was all a lie. Just say it, was, it, just say it never happened. They had it out and none of them took it, right? Except the son of perdition. None of them took it. Said, nope, no. I'm part of a different kingdom. When Jesus was brought before Pilate and he said, you're a king, right? He, he said, if my, he said, you said right that I'm a king. He said, but if my kingdom was of this world, my people would fight. But my kingdom's not of this world. He even told him, this is going to happen a lot differently than you expect because this is a lot different from what you are. Amen. It stands out in stark contrast to the world because the kingdom is different. Now, we know that we still stand for truth. We don't go, okay, you slap me. I guess I'm going to go over here. It's not about submission as much as it is about humility and gentleness towards those who aren't gentle towards us. We, we can still stand for, for truth and righteousness and justice. But when we do, it should look different than the world would look. It should look different. Loving your enemies reaches out to them in a peculiar and a powerful way, right? The Bible even says that when you do good to one that hates you, it's like what? It's like dumping hot coals on their head. <laughs> they can't stand it. Now, that shouldn't be our motivation, right? I'm going to do good to them just to burn their head up, buddy. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But it should look different. Loving your enemies reaches out to them. And at the same time, it's a means of perseverance and endurance for us. It's a fuel for our life. Because have you ever known anybody who was driven just by hate and anger? Like it's the reason they got up in the morning. It was their fuel. Hate and anger is what they lived off of. It was the bread that they ate and the water that they drank. It was their fuel. Because you can run on that. You can. You're not going to want to. You're not going to want to, especially because it won't last for very long. But love is a means of perseverance and endurance for us. And just like everything that Jesus did and everything that he taught, he got down to the heart of the matter. 
because some of this teaching wasn't new to them. It was a carryover of what they were already supposed to be doing. If you look back in the book of Exodus chapter 23, we won't go there, but Exodus 23 verses 4 and 5, it says there in the law, if you see your enemy's ox or donkey has strayed. So if there's somebody that you have that's an enemy and you see their ox, their donkey, their asset wandering down the side of the road on its own, it says don't pass by it, but take it back home. Take it back to where it belongs. It says, if you see the donkey of someone who hates you collapse under its load, do not walk by, but stop in hell. It's in the Old Testament. It's in Exodus. Your, your, your translation may say, the ass of your enemy. Which I thought that was, that was very, that, that could hit a whole different way. If you see the ass of your enemy crushed under the weight of a heavy load, to not walk by, but to lift that burden off of them, even though they're your enemy. I can play a whole different way, right? It says in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. It says in Proverbs, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. One proverb says, don't rejoice when your enemies fall, lest God have mercy on them and take the punishment away. I th that's not to say what, but I thought, yeah, there you go. Wow, what an interesting, because even then playing on our motivations. So you see the difference, what, what they had been doing. They had been taught to do good even to their enemies. They had been taught to do good even to their enemies, and they had been taught to love their neighbor as their self, but they decided who their neighbor was. Remember, you, you'll see that in there when Jesus is teaching, and he talks about love your neighbor, and they go, well, who's our neighbor? Right? And then he really blew their world up after that. But they, they, they were doing good to their enemy and they were loving their neighbor, but they were not loving their enemies. And he goes right down into the heart of it and, and says it's not enough to do good to an enemy and still nurse hate in your heart. To still nurse evil in your heart. To take their donkey back and go, that's sorry, so-and-so let his donkey out. I hate that I have to take this back to him. Look at his old face. Right. Jesus always went to the heart of the matter and he always took it to a point that's impossible to live up to on your own. Didn't he? It's impossible to love your enemies as you say. It's impossible. He said, you know, you've said don't murder. I say if you've hated somebody in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You say don't commit adultery. I say if you've lusted after someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So he took it to a point that was completely impossible where everybody would be disqualified without him, right? To point out, to get into this kingdom of God that I'm preaching about, to live in it is going to require a righteousness at a level that y'all have never seen before. He said your righteousness is going to have to exceed that of the Pharisees, which they would have just seen as impossible. A normal person like us, because the Pharisees were supposed to be the best of the best, the observers of the, of the observers. And he's like, no, they don't even have it. You're going to have to do way over and beyond that. He always took it to where it's impossible without him. To point out how much we need it. We, we can't do it 
on our own because in this life, when we go through these things, when we encounter these uh, enemy situations, it's going to happen that anger is going to rise up in us, right? Anger and the want to to respond in the wrong way is going to rise up. And he's telling us explicitly, don't hold that anger in your heart. Don't direct it back to the person that generated it, but bring it instead to God. Bring it to God and go, it happened again. (laughs) Teach me how to love them. Teach me how to love them. Train me to love creatively. He wants us to be trained by the right so we can love the right way. Even loving our enemies. And we know when we read on in the book, we know that love is, a, is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love is the fruit of the Spirit. God is love. Nowhere in my Bible does it say Stephen is love. Nowhere in my Bible does it say the fruit of Stephen is love. I can't do it on my own. I have to have him. Love is empowered to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's what makes us different. It's a testimony in the darkness because it will stand out always in stark contrast. Again, love is the miracle when hate and selfishness are so easy to walk in. When that's our reflex, love is a miracle. Love is a miracle in our life and it stands out as that to others when they see it. Look at this last part. Verse 35 and 36. We already read, let's look at it again, at least the end of 35. He says, then your reward from heaven will be very great and you'll be truly acting as children of the most high. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Because he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked of which we all were, right? It's reminding them and reminding us that we have a God who loves his enemies, who is loving towards his enemies. Again, how else could he do what he did for sinners and rebels? Those that had cursed his name said, I'd rather live without you. I'd rather live contrary to everything you've ever said and everything you've ever taught. How could he do what he did? without loving those that had put themselves at enmity with him. He loved those who were his enemies. He does good to those who hate him. And you see that all the time, just the hate and vitriol that you see, especially on social media from people who are anti-God. Like, how can you be so angry about something that you say doesn't exist? How can it stir up in you so much fire? And yet when they sit down at Texas Roadhouse and eat a steak and those lovely rolls with the butter spread on it, you know what? It's going to taste good. And that's grace. That's grace. God made food taste good even for people that hate him. He made nature beautiful even for people that hate him. Did you notice that? You knew nature was beautiful before you became a Christian. You knew food tasted good. Now, is it better as a Christian? You better believe it is. We could go on down the list of things that they enjoy as a common grace from him. He hasn't taken it away from them, even though they say such terrible things about him. He loves his enemies. He blesses those that curse him, at least for a time, right? You know 
the child of God by how they love. You know, he, he, he tells us that. You'll be known by your love because he is love. And look at the... And I, I use the word contrast a lot. Maybe i got to find a better word. Somebody looked that up. Synonym. Contrast. So you see when he goes through and says, if you only love those who love you, what credit should it be? Sinners do that. If you only lend to people who are going to pay you back in full, what, what credit is to you? Sinners do that. And then he, he contrasts that with God's love. So you see a sinner's love, how a sinner sees love and how God sees love and the difference there. In which camp, he says, that it's going to be way much better for us to live in. To be walking in God's love and not the way a sinner lives in the world. He's like, even they do this. They do this. What are you doing? Amen. And obviously, this is when he says, love your enemies, there's a whole other conversation for how we handle issues between those who are together in the body of Christ, right? Because if Matthew walks up here and slaps me, Right now, yes, I could turn my other cheek, but also there should be some brethren going, Matthew, that's not right. Matthew, that's not the way we walk in that. It's talking about those who are outside, tax collectors and sinners, those who are in the darkness, not those who claim to be in the light. There is a difference there, but even though the actions are different, the motive is still the same. Is love and restoration of that one day Matthew will stop slapping people. Matthew, that's not right. We don't want you doing that. We want you to live better. We, we want you to know better, right? But So the actions may be different, but the motive is still the same. It's still love. I wrote this down as we, as we wrap up, and Andrew, if you want to go ahead and come up and get ready for us to sing together as we get ready to go. I wrote down, love to be like him. Love to be like Him. Not loving as paying our way to, to get to be like Him. But just love, enjoy being like Him. We love so that we're like Him, but we also enjoy being able to love like He loves because that makes us more like Him. I wanted to add one thing here at the end um, because I think it's important. The Lord really put this on my heart. Um, there's one enemy in life that we, we, we probably have the most trouble loving and forgiving, and that is ourselves, right? The part of us that is contrary to God, that's anti-God, that, that, that keeps wanting to lean that direction because we think about all the things that we've said and all the things that we've done, because you know what? You were there for all of them. You've seen all your wrongs, and so it's easy to hold them against yourself. It's easy to hate yourself for the things that you did in fear, in foolishness, and in just outright rebellion, isn't it? To dislike yourself for it, for the life that you lived in the flesh, for the actions that you took in the flesh. It's easy to be hard on yourself for that, to not be loving to yourself for that. But what, what he doesn't want, he doesn't want us holding on to anger and shame and disappointment and bitterness over those things in our life. 
even though they were big, they may have been big things. They may have been important things. They may have been really, 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 really wrong things. But he doesn't want us to hold on to anger, bitterness, disappointment over those things because they're no less corruptive when they're pointed at ourselves than when they're pointed at other people. So if he would say, hey, love those who are doing that, certainly he wants us to love ourselves because it will corrupt us from the inside out if we harbor those attitudes and emotions. Again, toward ourselves, have we messed up? Yes. Big. So big. Big. But he doesn't want us to hold that against ourselves any more than he wants us to hold it against someone on the outside. We don't want to hate what God said that he loves. Again, you can look at sin. We, we can weep over sin in our life. And it's not bad to see it that way, but it's bad to see you that way. Because that is not you. Amen. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He is new creation. Old things passed away. All things have created new. We don't want to hate what God said that he loves. We want to hate what God hates. And we want to love what God loves. And we don't want to get it flipped. We don't want to get it mixed up. He loves you. When you look at, look at, read that again. Of course, we know that God came, he came for the ungodly, right? It was for the ungodly that he died. Jesus died was for the ungodly. That's in Romans. He said, you'll be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He, he loves you and was kind towards you when you were unthankful and wicked and he loves you still today. Jesus came to show us what the kingdom looks like. And what it looks like is sacrificial love. To be so full that I'm able to give over what seems to be everything, and yet I still have everything that I need. I'm able to lay down my pride, my ego, my intentions, my dreams. I'm able to lay that down because He is all that I need. And it's a testimony to His sufficiency. He came preaching the kingdom, which again is humanly impossible. He takes it to levels that no one can get in on their own. But as he also said, with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. None of this works without him. None of this works without his grace in our life, his love in our heart, the Holy Spirit working in us. And we just want to remember, He first loved us when we were wicked and unthankful. He came and died for us when we were ungodly. And He's calling us to walk in a love that's in that same likeness. Amen. Amen. Why don't y'all stand up with me if you can. And I want to pray over us as we go. Pray for everybody as we get ready to go and then we'll sing together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Father, for leading us through it. Lord God, not just jumping around and going to a lot of happy spots, but, but getting truth and context from you. Lord, to see that we're going to have people that are going to do us wrong. We're going to have people who are going to act out against us in evil and manipulative ways. And Father, that you have given us the power and the desire 
to still do right by them. To still love as you loved. You loved us when we were wicked and unthankful. I thank you that we'll be able to extend love to those who are wicked and unthankful. That we won't be indifferent from a sinner, but we will be very different as children of your kingdom. That love will stand out as a miracle in a world full of hate and selfishness. Your love will shine like a beacon and you'll draw people to you through that. I thank you, Lord, that you are softening hard hearts. Lord, that you are opening blind eyes, that you are awakening those who have been in a deep, deep spiritual slumber. And I thank you that you're doing it through your body. You're doing it through your church as we love one person at a time. I thank you that you're waking them up. You're opening their eyes. You're breaking a heart of stone and restoring a heart of flesh. Lord, we thank you for that today. We thank you that as we go, we go together in peace and unity with one another. Lord, we thank you uh, that even though we're gathered differently right now, Lord, you know no bounds. I pray for all those who are, who are working today. Lord, all those who are away from us today, all those who are, who are sheltering in place at home today, I thank you that you keep us joined together by those bonds of love, that we can continue to encourage each other and build each other up. Keep your people safe. I thank you, Lord God, that they're blessed and highly favored. I thank you that you perfect those things which concern us and you order our steps so that we walk in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, continue to teach us and train us up so that we can exhibit your kingdom here, not by our own strength and wisdom, God, but as an overflow of the Holy Spirit that you've put on the inside of us, that we grow the fruit of love that we grow the fruit of love and that people are able to take and eat and know of your goodness even in a dark world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.